All right. Well, I just wanted to thank you guys um, and Kenny, too, for giving me the opportunity to speak and talk about uh, my trip to Nepal. Um, some of it's kind of hard to talk about because it's so um, dark, I guess, and so um, impactful. So I'm going to try to get through it without doing this. And I already feel weird without my guitar anyway on. So, um, so I'm going to start out with kind of like the lighthearted, fun stuff. Fun, I use a little um, lightly, I guess. And um, then we'll get into the more serious stuff about Nepal. Um, this was a different trip for me because it wasn't just about evangelism. Usually the trips I go on, we just go into the villages and talk about Jesus and stuff. But this one was extremely cool to get to um, to go and be a part of changing people's physical lives too, through clean water and see what Neverthirst is doing there and see what God is doing through Neverthirst and through the local pastors and the um, other organizations working in Nepal. Um, so I have another, I have some pictures I'm going to go through and talk about. So you can start the first picture, Brett. I'm going to talk about food first, just give you an idea of what it's like. This is a lovely cup of yak milk. It's not good. It has a film on top, you know, because it's not pasteurized or whatever we do here. And um, we were standing in this pastor's church, and he hands me this cup, and I'm trying to be nice and drink it. And I'm not really paying attention, and I go like this to drink it. And I'm not kidding, y'all. The film gets caught on my lip. It's hanging off my lip. I don't know what to do. I can't, like, spit in this pastor's church. You know, I'm like, I just, I, I, I'm not going to tell you what I did because it's really nasty. But, um, yeah, yak milk, buffalo milk's really common there. Um, you can go to the next picture. Um, this is, so Nepal is between India and China, okay? So closer to India, it's kind of more desert-like and... The food is more Indian, obviously. So this was in what's called the Terai, which is close to India. So this would be rice. Everything is curry. Rice curry, potato curry, vegetable curry, soup curry. I mean, it's, it's curry. Everything is so spicy. My lips swelled one night, y'all. It was so spicy. So this would be chicken and potatoes, greens, and that's kind of like a tortilla chip. Um, and then... That's, the soup is called dal bot, and that's kind of what the Nepali people live off of. It's, just, it's supposed to be like a lentil soup, but I never had any with lentils in it. I don't, it was just plain soup. Um, so everything tasted good. It was just so spicy in the terai. So you can go to the next one. So this is closer to China, where the food is more Chinese up in the mountains. These are momos. And they're just um, either chicken or buffalo with different spices mixed in and dipping in kind of like sweet and sour sauce. They're actually really good. I was happy with those. You can go to the next one. Okay, so we had, there was three awesome land cruisers that took us around everywhere. And we had many breakdowns. I mean, I already talked about one, I think, on last Wednesday when a tire fell off. Um, but this we're, we're going to the mountains right here, and one of the cars broke down. So the Nepali people are very resourceful. They really are. They converted this, I think it was the front one, to a two-wheel drive 
and uh, so we could keep on going. I don't really know how they did it. They took this little part down the road, got it welded, and came back, and we were standing on the side of the road for three hours um, just waiting for that. And I think the next picture is when our tire fell off. Yeah, um, that was fun. I didn't really know what happened. I kind of thought we were sliding off the side of the cliff. The tire fell off, and we're just sliding. We slid for like eight feet or something like that. I think, no, eight meters is what they said. And um, so the whole tire thing came off, and we were sideways in the road, so we were blocking the whole road, so that by the time the whole thing was over with, there were five buses and two dump trucks and another truck waiting to pass, and every single person got out and came and looked, and there was literally 100 people standing around, and somehow they, all, they fixed it right there on the side of the road. I was very impressed. Um, you can go to the next one. Um, well, one thing I want to say before we talk about this picture is in... In a lot of third world countries, there are rebel groups that are opposing the government, and I don't really know what, what they're doing, really. But this one um, that we had an encounter with, there's an election going on in Nepal for the first time in 20 years, so a lot of people aren't happy about it. And we actually had to change our plans one night because the rebel group was going to be where we were. So we were leaving as they were coming in on their motorcycles, and they had all their black flags waving and stuff. And on the way out, we, um, we passed each other, and they started hitting our cars with all the, their flagpoles and all kinds of stuff, and it knocked some mirrors off our cars. It was really crazy. Um, so I was happy to avoid them. And that night, um, the hotel, we, I say hotel loosely. Um, it was bad. But... In front of the hotel we stayed at the night before, they burned one of these Land Cruisers and killed five people, and 30 people were injured and all kinds of stuff. So there's a lot of unrest in Nepal going on right now. So on Wednesday, last Wednesday, I talked about our helicopter rescue up the mountain. We were trying to get to this village called Badan to check out a new spring project that they'll be starting in October. So the spring project is when the water is clean coming from the spring, but they're, it's too far away to get to for them. Um, so they have to pipe it down to the village and um, all that stuff. So we were trying to get there and check that out, but the roads, we drove for probably eight hours on these roads that were just insane. And then it got too dangerous, so we had to get out and hike the rest of the way. So we didn't end up making it to the village that we were supposed to go to. We almost slid off the side of a mountain several times. Um, so it was pretty crazy. So the next day we had to, uh, they had to helicopter us out because the roads, we couldn't get back down. We were going to be stuck there. So it was pretty cool. My first time in a helicopter and um, they, they rescued us from the mountaintop. So we took a victory picture getting down. And you can go to the next one. So today is actually World Water Day. I don't know if anybody anybody's seen that on Facebook today, so I thought it was pretty cool that I'm talking about all this on World Water Day. And I wanted to give um, some statistics about water before I go in and talk about everything. So today in the world, there are 3.4 million people that die every year because of lack of clean water. Um, and then that leads into lack of sanitation and hygiene problems. So 3.4 million people die every year because they don't have clean water. 666 million people right now don't have clean water. Can you imagine that? In 2017, 
there are still people that are drinking, I'm going to talk about it in a minute, um, the water that I'm about to show. And then the last statistic, oh no, there's two more. Diarrhea from drinking dirty water kills 2,195 children every day. That's more than AIDS, malaria, and measles combined. So, I just, can you imagine being a parent and your child dies from diarrhea because of something so easily preventable, you know? And then the last thing is women are the ones who collect all the water. The men don't really do a lot of the work um, in countries like Nepal. And women around the world spend over 40 billion, billion hours every year collecting water, going back and forth, um, collecting water every day. So Never Thirst's mission is, I really like how their model is set up. They don't just go in and start, start working anywhere in Nepal. They partner with the local churches that are already there. They work with an organization called United Vision Nepal, and um, that is an organization that had, they do all kinds of stuff. But one of the things they do is they send pastors out and they plant churches. So UVN finds these places. There's a bunch of criteria that they have to meet to be able to get the clean water. And so then UVN comes to Never Thirst and they say, you know, we're, we're going to need this much money for this project. This is what's going on. And then Never Thirst says yes or no, depending on if they have the budget for it or not um, that year. So we did um, some, these are biosand filters. So biosand filter is um, like a layer of rocks, a layer of big pieces of sand, and then a layer of small sand, and then a water layer that really is where all the bacteria is eaten up at. Um, so we, you pour the water through there, and then it's clean to drink. So we're making some of these biofilters, biosand filters right here. Um, you have to pour them in the mold. We have to mix the concrete by hand, which was super difficult. And especially, I mean, because they don't just have, like, you know, bags of concrete that you mix and get from Home Depot. You have to find the rocks and whatever it is and mix it up with the water and all that. Um, so you, you can go to the next one. Um, you pour, yeah, where you pour it in these molds, and then it has to sit for 24 hours. Um, and then when you open it, those in the back, those brown things that are covered, you have to keep them covered with water and wet for a certain number of time. And it's really cool to see how the village people are involved in, in this process. Like they're not just sitting down on the sidelines watching all of the other people who work for Never Thirst and UVN work. They take pride in their filter. And they, you have, there's a big education process that goes into why clean water is important and you know, what these filters are going to do. Um, and you can't use the filters for four weeks because everything has to settle and all that. So there's a big process that goes into this. And the women are out there every day making sure they know which filter is theirs, like the ones they helped build. That, that's the one they want. They keep it wet. They clean it every day. And they are, I think I have a picture, um, maybe it's the next one, or it was in the slideshow of the women mixing the concrete on the ground. So they were, the men, the men didn't help. I don't know. There it is, yeah. Um, yeah, so you have to mix the concrete like that, and it was just really cool to see how the village women were involved in this process. So you can go to the next one. So this is 
Um, we were actually really bad at it. We made five filters that day, and all of them had a problem that the women were fixing after us. So they were really good at it. And the, the Nepali people that work for or with Neverthirst, um, they're the ones on the ground doing it all the time. So we're just pouring the concrete in in these molds right here. You can go to the next one. Um, so this is one that's already been done that we went to, and this is the owner of this filter. So he's helping pour in all the layers that you need to make it usable. You can hit the next one. So this, the one on the, the side, I don't know what that is for you guys, um, is water right out of what they were drinking. That's what this village is currently drinking right now. The one on the other side is filtered out from just the second that we put all the stuff in there and filtered it. That's how much cleaner it is already. So in four weeks, it's going to be completely clear. Like we, we could drink it and it would be completely fine. So I thought that was really cool just to see the difference immediately that happens in these filters. You can go to the next one. Uh, this, this girl in this same village where that one was, we were talking to her. She, it's dry season right now. And dry season's for a long, like six months in Nepal. So during dry season, they have to dig for their water in the river, dried up riverbed. And that water in that bottle was what they got out. So that's what they've been drinking, and that's what she's doing right here. She didn't know how old she was. Um, we thought she was probably about 14 or so. And it's usually the young girl's job to get the water. So if you can hit the next one. So that's, that's a picture of what they dig and drink. You can go to the next one. So then they put it in these buckets or these pots. And um, they have to carry it on their heads. And some of these people are carrying it miles and miles and miles, hours and hours and hours. And we asked this girl how many times a day she has to do this. And she said three or four times every day she has to go. So it's like her whole day is spent getting water. And it's not even water that they can use. You can go to the next one. One of the guys on our team wanted to see how hard it was to carry this water. And so he did it up to her house. And he said that he, I mean, he was about to die. And this 14-ish-year-old girl has to do that several times a day uh, for her family, and that's her job. So it was kind of cool to see that in perspective of him doing that and how hard that actually is to do that. You need the next one. That's just a, another picture of her. So this is a, um, a tap stand. So this will be, like I was talking about, the spring project. They'll take the spring, pipe it down to the village, and then there'll be these tap stands all throughout the village so they can get clean water right there by their homes because, like I said, they're walking so far to get this water every day. So this is another project that Neverthirst does, which I thought was cool. So we went and visited this village, um, and there was, I think, the next... Yeah, there's a video next I'm going to show you guys. You can go ahead and play that.
was at a water dedication ceremony at that village that um, the guy was drinking out of the tap stand. So this is what happens when it's all done. They have this huge water dedication ceremony, and they dance, and everybody who's been a part of it, the committee, the villagers have to form a committee, and they have to take ownership in this and put money towards it in case anything's ever broken. So it's like they have this now. It's like being passed over to them. And they're just so grateful for this clean water. You know, something that we just turn the sink on and we have instantly. You know, this is such a huge deal for them to be able to um, have this clean water. And we didn't even do anything in this village. I didn't. And the rest of us who were there didn't. But they were giving us um, presents and gifts and these hats and scarves and stuff. And it was just really cool to be a part of that. So this picture... You see, it's kind of blurry on the screen, but all those little blue dots down there is called Badan, and that's the village we were trying to get to up the mountains, and we didn't make it Um, because the roads, I mean, it it was just so bad. We were standing on the side of the road waiting to figure out what we were going to do. We were going to try to make it to the village and walk another two or three hours, and it was getting dark or what the plan was. And these two ladies were sitting on this rock right here, and so I went over and started talking to them, and I mean, they're a translator, obviously, and they are from Badan, the village down there. They were just up there resting and getting away from everything, I think. And so it was, it was really cool to get to talk to them and see what their struggles are with water. They are walking, these two women, over two hours one way to get to the spring, and then two hours back every day for water. And their water is clean to drink, but it's just so far to get to. So this is a project that Neverthirst will be starting in October. So they have to pipe down from the spring source six kilometers, and then they're going to do 10 tap stands in this village. And I talked with Kenny about this already, um, about partnering with Neverthirst again. And so seven of those tap stands are already sponsored. So it is $3,700 to do a tap stand. And we're going to start that and have another lemonade stand and all that um, during the summer. And we're going to actually sponsor one of these tap stands in Badon, which I thought was really cool because I know the struggle, um, well, I know a tiny part of the struggle of them getting, getting there and talking with them about their day of getting water and what their life is like and just the mountains in Nepal are extremely hard places to live. Um, So I just thought that was really cool that I almost got there and got to meet these women um, in the village and get to talk with them for a little while. So the the next pictures are where it gets a little bit graphic. You can hit it. This little boy's name is Deepak. And this is in the same village where the um, 14-ish-year-old girl was digging for water. We were walking through the village and came upon this little boy sitting on this mat all by himself in the sun. And he was burned on his arm. And you can go to the next one. His knee and his body was, it, it was just covered in these burns. And you can see that 
they, ha they hadn't been treated. They are getting necrotic tissue. I mean, it was, he was on the road to death very quickly. And we talked to his family to see what happened. And he had, he had seizures. And he had a seizure and fell into their fire. And that was two months ago from the time I was there. And for two months, he's just been laying on this mat outside of his family's house that had burned down. They had no house, just a little clearing. Um, and the family said they had no money to even build a house. They can't treat, they don't have any money to treat him. They don't have any money to take him to a hospital that's days away. Um, it was, it's just something that you can't, pictures don't do it really justice and just being there and seeing him. And I have a, the next picture is um, another one of him. And he just, they, in their minds, him sitting out in the sun was what was best for him and healing his wounds a little bit. So we, it just impacted the team so much. And we went, we talked with the pastor and we talked, um, talked to the pastor and to see what could be done. And if he was willing to take, if we, if we raised some money to get the boy to a hospital to be treated, and he said he was. So um, we all, we gathered some money and the pastor, and the, the pastor and the dad took him. And so he had to have surgery. He had to get all of that debrided and skin grafts and all kinds of stuff. And the best thing is, is that he's going to be treated for his seizures now for free. There's an organization there that um, does some medical stuff, and they got linked up with them. So he'll be treated for his seizures. He's still in the hospital right now. i got an update on him. Um, he's still in the hospital, and he's still in a lot of pain and all that. But he is hopefully on the road to recovery. Um, so we, the team, we were just, we were kind of just in awe, and we were, we just really felt like this is, really the biggest reason we were even there, you know, the, because the water projects were happening without us anyway. And um, we just, we knew that something had to be done for Deepak, and it was, it was really cool to get to be a part of that. And, um, and the pastor is now involved in that family's life, so hopefully, you know, they can come to Christ because of that and see the love of Christ through that. Um, so the next thing I have is, a is another short video. It's, it's totally dark because it was dark in this. There was no lights in the church whatsoever. So it's just them singing. So less um, than 1% of Nepal is Christian. That is a number that is completely unfathomable to me. Less than 1%. Um, so the pastors that we, the pastors are few and far between in, in Nepal because there's, there's just not many people. And so one of the things that we did while we were there was sat with the pastors and encouraged them and, and the people that are Christians. This church probably had about maybe 20 people that came regularly to the church 
Um, so it was, I just love being with them and hearing them worship and, you know, sitting in the dark in that church on the floor, Indian style, and, and they don't care. So this is a picture of um, the lady in the glasses in the front. Her name is Uma, and the guy beside of her is Madon, and the guy beside of him is Reuben. And these are the people that are, they work for the UVM, but partner with Never Thirst, and they're on the ground every single day doing the hard stuff. You know, like we go and we go a week and we leave. They are there every single day facing persecution. And they go to the villages and stay and see, the, they assess the needs of the village. They, they spread the gospel. And I was very encouraged by their faith and how, you know, they look to Americans as like the ultimate Christians. And I'm like, no, you, you guys have it going on. You're the ones who are really facing the difficult times. And Uma told me that Nepal is about to pass a law that makes converting to Christianity illegal. And anybody who is a Christian illegal will face all kinds of persecution and even death. Um, so they're about to face some even harder times them and, and the other Christians and people in Nepal. So the next, the next pictures are, we went to the old part of, of Kathmandu, and I think like 98% of Nepal was Hindu, and then there's like 1% Buddhist, and then 1% Christian. And these Hindu temples, just walking around, they're, ev they're everywhere. Um, we went, we went to one out in, in a village, and I don't have any pictures because we weren't allowed to take any in the village. But we, this this priest walked us around, and there's just altars and these things they've built up everywhere. And this is the god of wealth, and this is the god of love and health. And there's 330 million Hindu gods. They just keep making them up and adding to it and doing whatever they think to that's going to help them. So when, if you do talk about Jesus, you have to be careful because they'll just take Jesus and add it on as another God. They'll be like, oh yeah, Jesus, we'll, we'll take him too, along with all the other gods. Um, so this priest, he was walking us around, and there was this altar, and he said that every year there's people from all over Nepal come here because they think this is a special temple. And they sacrifice 25,000 goats here every year. He said the blood just flows out into the streets. And to just go into these temples and seeing that these gods, you can go to the next, next one, these gods that they worship and they make up. This is the largest temple in Nepal. And people, are, people come here, they're everywhere, and they... They go and they, they sacrifice, they give whatever that they have to these gods. They'll just lay it at the altar. Um, food or animals or clothing, anything that they have. And they have this red powder stuff and they put it on their foreheads every day. And it's supposed to be good luck that the gods have blessed me. Um, these, these temples and the Hinduism has really just affected my soul and huge way because they don't know. There's so much darkness. They have no knowledge of Christ. They're worshiping and sacrificing to all these gods that they 
that they think are going to help them. And they, have, they just have no idea. I think the next one is a picture of, um, you can see this, there was a sacrifice here recently, and there's feathers over there. And then the next one, um, not that one, one more. Okay, one more. This one, there's intestines back there where they had just sacrificed something to to one of these gods. I don't even know how you can make up 330 million gods, but it's just been so heavy on my heart about the the amount of Hinduism in Nepal. And it's like that in India, and, and China is more Buddhist too, but it's the same thing almost. Um, you can go to the next one. When we were flying back in our helicopter going back to Kathmandu, this is Kathmandu, and this is just one side of it. I couldn't, you can't even get it all. There's 10 million people just in Kathmandu. And if you do the math, all these people that we're looking at here, there's 10 million, 9,900,000 of them are lost and have no knowledge of Christ, have no knowledge of anything of hope or another way. And they're in so much bondage spiritually and, and physically too, like, you know, with Deepak and all the things that we saw. Um, so I want to read James 2. 14 through 26. It is not going to be on the screen. I just want to read it to you guys. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by, by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead... So also faith apart from works is dead. And that passage just really stuck out to me when I was thinking about what to speak about and how to, to bring this kind of all together. Um, and I also was thinking about something that David Platt says in Radical, and I think about this a lot actually, is in the American church alone, we have enough money to house all the orphans, to adopt all the orphans, to get everybody clean water and food and get the gospel to the unreached, every unreached, in the American church alone. But what are we doing? And I'm, I'm talking to myself here, too. This is, this is just heavy. The American dream is the ultimate thing 
in America. You know, we have, we want all the nice clothes in the cars, houses and vacations. And we think that we're not rich because we don't have these huge houses. You know, most of us in here are kind of just medium in America. But 80% of the world lives on less than $10 a day. And 40% of that live on less than $2 a day. So when we go and we get a Big Mac and McDonald's meal, that's a whole day's or more salary for most of the world. Like Deepak's family didn't even have enough money to rebuild their thatch house. It wasn't even made of anything but sticks. We don't see radical Christianity is not a thing. In the New Testament, we don't see a normal Christian over here and then a radical Christian over here. Everybody was given their lives. Everybody were, was, was given to each other and doing what God called them to do. We, they were hungry, they were thirsty, they, they were beaten, they were stoned, and they were killed for their, for their faith, for preaching the gospel. But they, were, they persevered and they kept going too. And um, I love this quote by David Platt, and it says, Radical obedience to Christ is not easy. It's not comfort, not health, not wealth, and not prosperity in this world. Radical obedience to Christ risks losing all these things. But in the end, such risk finds its reward in Christ, and he is more than enough for us. Now, this, this life that we live here is so short compared to eternity. You know, whatever we go through here it won't. It doesn't matter. It's like, the Bible says it's just a vapor. When you compare it to the two billion, two billion, I can't even fathom what that even means. Two billion people who have never heard of Christ ever, who are living in Hinduism and Buddhist and tribal worship and are nothing. They just don't know anything. Two billion people. But I'm thinking about what new thing I'm going to buy on Amazon. And, you know, we've been given much so we can give much, not so we can hoard it and keep it to ourselves and, and chase the American dream. Um, this is just something that I was thinking about when I was thinking about what to talk about. If, you know, what we're willing to do, what, what, what our faith in Christ is, would we go if God called us to a village in India to live, because there were there were people that I met who were living um, in a village, and they were helping them learn English. And through that, they were sharing the gospel with them. Would you move to the slums of Birmingham to minister to the inner city people? You know, would you sell your house and move to a smaller house? You can have money to do these things. Would you quit your job that you've risen to the top in to start a ministry? where you don't make a lot of money, but you are spreading the gospel or you're giving clean water or feeding the hungry or orphans or whatever it may be. And most of all, I think this is the thing that jumped out at me was would we go against what everybody's saying, what your family says, what your parents say, what your friends say, what the people in the church say is crazy that you're doing, that God's called you to do. You know, if some God calls you to do one of these things, you're going to get a lot of negativity towards that. And you're going to get a lot of people saying, 
you know, God doesn't really want you to do that. You know, he just wants you to come to church and he wants you to check off the boxes. You know, they wouldn't probably say that, but that's what they're saying. Um, you know, this, this is serious that there are people dying from clean water, or lack of clean water, and all these other things, hunger, and that there's orphans. But the biggest thing is there's two billion people who just have no knowledge whatsoever of Christ. And I, I can't think, I can't help but think about these pastors and the people that we met that are on the ground working for, for Christ and living out the gospel and how, how deep and sweet their walks with Christ are and their dependence on him and how they really need him, how they need him for their food and their sustenance and their protection every single day and how, what that feels like, you know, and how I, I don't have that. You know, I have what I need. And I don't, it's, 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 very, it's very crazy when you think about it. Um, so the last thing I just want to leave you guys with is a challenge, I guess, to, for me too, is to evaluate our lives, evaluate our, how we spend our time, how we use our money, how we use our gifts and how we are focused on ourselves and are even focused on our families. You know, that your family is a good thing, but sometimes it can be so inwardly focused that nothing else happens. And, um, you know, not everybody's called to clean water. Not everybody's called to feed the hungry. Not everybody's called to, you know, work in sex trafficking. You can't do it all, but we're all called to the gospel and we're called to live out what God's calling is on our life. So I just want to read this verse and I'll be done. This is our band verse and it's just so powerful. It's Psalm 118.17. I will not die but live and will proclaim what the Lord has done. So I'll pray and we'll have an invitation. God, thank you, Lord, for this time. God, thank you for your word and how it is powerful, God, how it penetrates our hearts and how it changes us. God, how there's more to life than the American dream, how there's more, there's more, God, and we just, sometimes we're so content with the things that are so temporary, God, and I don't want to be that way. I want to run the race, God, and I want to live my life for you each and every day out here and there and wherever you call me to do, God. So thank you for what you're doing throughout the world. And thank you for inviting us to be a part of it. And it's our choice whether we want to be involved or not. And you use us in such mighty ways that we don't, we don't deserve. So thank you for your love. God, and your grace, and your making a way for us, God, to get to you, God, for, God, for bridging that gap, God, and for sending your son for us, and the hope that we have in Christ, not just for eternity, but in this life, too. God, just be known and change hearts and lives. God, and we love you, and we thank you. In your name we pray.